I think we always think that someone's going to steal our baby or hurt our baby or won't be as good as uh, at that task as we are. And Alex Sharpen, who I'm sure you know, I, I oh, always yeah. love one of his quotes where he says, hey, if you think you're the only person that can do what you do in your business, I have news for you. You're, you're not that special. And it, it's so true that there's mm-hmm. so many people out there that can do everything that you do way better. And if you're not focusing on the high level stuff, the, the sales, the expansion, the marketing, your business is only going to go so far. You are now entering a new paradigm. So here is my issue. I wanted to find the answers to life's biggest questions. Things like, how do I become happy and live with purpose? How do I make more money doing what I love? And what does it mean to be truly successful in all areas of life? My name is Josh Forty, at Josh Forty on Instagram, and I ask life's biggest questions and share the answers with you. My goal is to help you find purpose, happiness, and open your mind to new realms of possibility by helping you think differently about everything you do, know, and understand. On this podcast, we think different, we dream bigger, and we live in a world without limits. This is a new paradigm. Welcome to the Think Different Theory. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Think Different Theory. My name is Josh Forty, and it is, it's a good day to be alive, people. I'm so glad uh, that we're back for another episode. Thank you for tuning in. Hey, real quick, if you have not gotten your copy of Traffic Secrets yet, um, make sure to go. We're going to link down all the information down below of how you can go and actually get a copy of the Traffic Secrets book. Um, and we have a bunch of really, really cool bonuses for everybody that gets it um, through my affiliate link. We're trying to place in the top 20, impress Russell Brunson, and do all that fun stuff. And as you know, I am going to be speaking. This was so hard to keep a secret, guys, by the way. Um, they were like, Josh, you cannot tell anybody until the book comes out. I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm speaking at the Traffic Secrets uh, live launch event in Boise. There's going to be about 200 people there. The top affiliates get to fly out. There's some awesome, awesome people that are going to be on stage. John Lee Dumas, um, Casey Neistat's going to be there. Uh, they asked Ty Lopez. I don't know, I actually know if he's coming. Jenna Kutcher, uh, like big, big names. Natalie Hudson will be there. And so uh, basically, we're trying to sell a lot of these. Since I'm a speaker, we got we to gotta have some epic bonuses for you. And so we do. So click the link below. Um, and if you're listening on audio or video, we'll link all the details down there and you'll be able to check that out. All right, guys. Um, I want to dive into today's episode because it's a little bit more of the entrepreneur-focused episode. Uh, my next guest here is just somebody I read his bio and I was like, oh, wow, this is super cool. And I talked to him a little bit beforehand and I'm like, holy cow, how do you, how do, you do that? That's amazing. Um, and so I'm very, very excited. He's an entrepreneur. Um, let me pull up his bio here and actually read this. It says um, that he started his first company in 2009 out of his college dorm room buying and selling textbooks. Over, um, over five years, my business partner and I scaled the company to over $25 million in total sales. Then they expanded to work with over a thousand suppliers in home, baby, and toy products. We hired a team of over 50 people and we learned a ton from the entire experience. He's done a whole lot more than that. He just sold another one of his companies. He's got an incredible, incredible story. And if you are an entrepreneur or you're looking to understand business and entrepreneurship better, he is the man to talk to. And I'm going to bring him on now. Nathan Hirsch, welcome to Think Different Theory, man. I appreciate you coming on. Josh, thanks for having me. I love talking about entrepreneurship and scaling businesses. Should be a lot of fun. It'll be, we'll have a lot of fun with it then. Uh, all right, man. So I have no idea who you are. Um, and I know, I think we've kind of maybe gone back and forth a couple of times, but like, I'm not familiar with their background at all. And usually those turn out to be the best interviews because I'm learning right along with the audience and uh, we're just going to dive in here. So for me and for everybody else listening right now, like, give me this pitch. Like, what do you do? What do you sell? Like, who is Nathan Hirsch? 
Yeah. So it's funny. Growing up, my parents were both teachers and I grew up with the mentality that I was going to go to school, get a real job, work for 30 years, retire. And that was kind of my mindset. And going into college, I had this internship and they treated me really well. They paid me a lot. I learned a lot about customer service and sales and marketing, but I just hated every second of it. I hated working for someone else. I hated having a boss. And when I got to college, I kind of looked at it as a ticking clock. I had four years to start my own business or I was going to go out in the real world and have bills and responsibilities and get a job and, and never look back. So when I got to college, I started hustling and I started off buying and selling people's textbooks. I created a little referral program, competed with my school bookstore. And before I knew it, there were lines out the door of people trying to sell me their books to the point where I got a cease and desist letter from my college telling me to knock it off. Oh, no way. Yeah, because I was stealing too much of their business from their bookstore. So I didn't want to get kicked out of college. My parents were both teachers. That would not have gone over too well. So I pivoted and I started trying to sell everything on Amazon. This was 2008. No one knew what Amazon was. It was kind of this big bookstore. I, I, I want to stop you right there really quick. I just want to back up before we get into the story because I have a feeling we're just going to dive in. It's going to be awesome. Did you know, like entering college, you said, okay, I felt like it's this ticking time bomb. I've got four years to basically figure out or else I have to go work for somebody else. Do you have any entrepreneurial experience at this time? Or do you understand that that's even an option? Or are you kind of just like, ah, I got to just figure this out? Like, did you have guidelines, had someone to follow? Or were you completely new to the entrepreneurship space? Completely new. I mean, all the, I feel like all the courses and the gurus, all that stuff came later. Like back then, social media wasn't as big as it is now. So right. I had met some CEOs. I had had some internships where I got to interact with them and saw that they could work by the golf course and all that. And I just wanted that <laughs> lifestyle, but I didn't know exactly what that entailed. Right. Okay. Okay. So you're a newbie coming into this. You don't have entrepreneur friends per se, and you're just like, I'm going to go figure it out. What even allowed, like what happened in your brain? Like what was the mentality, the mindset behind books? Like how did that even start? How did you even know that you could do something like that? Yeah, I mean, books were just the, the low hanging fruit, right? I mean, I was spending hundreds of dollars every semester on textbooks. My friends were doing the same thing and I would go to sell it back to the bookstore and they would offer me pennies on the dollar, which pissed me off as a 20 year old with not much money. And I said, you know what? I can find people that'll give me more money, which I did. I, I found different distributors and built relationships. And then I said, okay, this is benefiting me. How do I help this benefit all my other friends? And how do I create a system where people just tell other people? And I said, I forget the exact numbers of that referral program, but it just blew up. And there were literally just lines out my door of people selling me these books. And I was just loading up my dorm room with all these textbooks. Okay. So it, it kind of, I don't want to say you like fell into it, but it was one of those things where you created something out of the need, right? Would that be accurate? Yeah, definitely. Okay. So you create this thing out of the need, you get the cease and desist letter, and now you're like, what do I do? You go to Amazon. Is that right? Yeah. So I had sold some books on Amazon and okay. I thought it was so cool. I could have this 24 seven storefront. They'd automatically deposit money <laughs> into my bank account. Like all this was new. Yeah, and, yeah. and so I started experimenting. I can't sell books anymore. And I go to products that I'm familiar with, like sporting equipment, outdoor supplies, video games, computers, typical college guy stuff. And I just fail over and over and over again. I can't get anything to sell besides these books. And hmm. one day I came across this deal on a baby product and I listed it on Amazon and it sold. And I listed another one and it sold. And hmm. all of a sudden I just start listing baby products on Amazon. And before you know it, I'm this 20 year old single college guy just selling millions of dollars of baby products on Amazon, really 
getting into drop shipping before I even knew it was called drop shipping. I was going to say, so you weren't holding any inventory at this point. No, I mean, my logical brain was like, hey, I don't have much money, so I can't buy inventory up front. Even if I could buy inventory up front, I don't have anywhere to put this inventory. Right, FBA right. didn't exist back then, and I, I had a dorm room. Right. So what if I built relationships with these suppliers? They could focus on what they were good at, making the product, shipping it. They could keep my credit card on file. They didn't know what e-commerce was, so I came to them and I said, hey, I'll get you more sales. I'll add, you another, I'll add another revenue stream to you. All you have to do is make your product and ship it. And that's really my sales pitch that got everyone to agree to work with me. So, so you went directly to distributors to get like wholesale cost? So at first I went to distributors and then I went around them a year later and just went right to the manufacturers. Right to the, okay. These are all US manufacturers that were drop shipping. Okay, so talk this through. So there, there's people listening right now that have no idea what you mean by saying listing it on Amazon, right? Like right. affiliate marketing, which drop shipping slash affiliate marketing, which is essentially what you're doing here, right? Um, like a combo of the two of those it is very new to a lot of people, right? It, it is, I mean, for you and I, it's like, well, no, duh, like half of what sells on Amazon is affiliates, right? But a lot of people don't know that. So like, walk me through the process of what that, like, what is it that you're actually doing with these products when you say that you're listing them on Amazon? And then like, second part of that question, and I'll let you kind of take it and explain it how you want to. How are you getting and finding these products? Like, how did you, I know you went around them and eventually like good, but how do you even find those relationships? How did you know to go and do that? Like what was the process there that led you to go, oh, if I do this, then I can get wholesale and sell on Amazon for more. So two part yeah. question. Yeah, so Amazon now is a completely different animal. I mean, you're creating listings by writing really good titles, by optimizing all the keywords, by having really good paragraphs that make people wanna buy from you, by having really good images. Back then, Amazon kind of had its own catalog and you would just go through and select the product, select the price, select the condition, which was always new. And it probably had like one or two other questions that it asked you and you would click go. And within 15 minutes, your product was on Amazon. And the cool thing about drop shipping is I had to create processes, which helped me down the line creating processes for other businesses. Because if my manufacturer had 10 in stock, I had to make sure that I only listed 10. Because if I listed 20 and I got all these sales for a product that I couldn't fulfill, I'd have to cancel the order. I'd get bad feedback and stuff like that. Okay, so but take me back. Sorry, and and I'm not now. I'm a little bit confused with with this. So like back in the day, because I'm not familiar with Amazon back in the day. I know Amazon now, but I don't. You know, like 2008. I was, oh gosh, what is that? 10 years ago? No, no, no right. 10 years, 12 years ago. Holy cow. That's insane. Anyway, um, so like you said that you would go on there and you would just select your product. Is that product a product that's already on Amazon? Yeah. So keep in mind when you're drop shipping, you're selling other people's products. So these are stuff that was already in the Amazon catalog. Nowadays, if you do private label, create your own product, get your own trademark, however you go about it, you might go on Amazon and create a brand new listing. You upload the photo, you upload the listing. But Amazon's catalog, even back then, was pretty big. It didn't have every product in the world, but it had a lot of the most popular toys and baby products. So why wouldn't Amazon just sell those products themselves? Like why, why do they need you involved? Yeah, I mean, Amazon over time developed the research to see, hey, what's selling? Now let's go sell it ourselves and, and cut out the middleman, which made selling on Amazon a lot harder. One of many reasons that I got out of Amazon years later and it's a great question. I mean, back then, everything was new. The whole system of third-party selling was new, and Amazon wasn't going to go out and buy every single product in the world. Now, it's very difficult to drop ship. 
you might go to a manufacturer and there might be 10 other people already selling it on Amazon. Back then it wasn't the case. So basically, and tell me if I'm understanding this correctly. Basically back then you had this, Amazon basically was like, okay, we've got this website and we've got, I'm just gonna make up arbitrary numbers here. So I'm probably way off, but let's say we've got 5 million products on the website that we're selling now, but we have access to distributors of a hundred million products. And so basically you come in and say, hey, I think this one will sell. So let me go and you're picking up their hundred million. You're saying, I think this one will sell. I'm gonna set it up. And since I'm the one setting it up for you and putting it on your website, even though it's your inventory or whatnot, I'm gonna earn a little bit of a commission from that for doing that, essentially. Well, technically Amazon's taking the commission. I'm getting the sale price minus 15%. They're taking the 15% for getting the customer base. Okay, but it's, so it, their database, they're basically just giving you access to their database. It's not their products. Like they, they weren't holding product at that time. Yeah, so Amazon is really two businesses. One is their products that they make and also products that they buy from other people at wholesale and sell themselves. Right. And then the other thing is third party. So there's the hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Amazon sellers out there that are selling lots of different products. And let's say the most popular Lego during the holidays, you go to that Lego listing, there might be 50 different sellers on it or 100. Amazon might be selling it. Amazon might be selling it for a week and then they run out and then everyone's buying it from the second seller and then that runs out and then everyone's buying the third and then Amazon might come back in stock. It's kind of like a, a revolving door game that keeps going back and forth. Okay, interesting. So back then they basically provided you this catalog that they have was essentially like a Rolodex of suppliers and that you were getting product from. It's not a Rolodex of suppliers. I would get the suppliers. Think of it as a, a big list of all the different products that customers were constantly trying to find. And I'm just putting my listing on their website to buy. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So you had to go out and actually find the product itself. They were just saying like, hey, this is what people are searching. We don't have products for it. Like you can upload it here. Essentially, yeah. Okay, okay, I, I understand. Okay, that makes a lot more sense. So then how did you go out back then, because I'm, I'm sure it's way easier now, but like back then, maybe there was less competition, but I, there's not gurus and guides out there. How did you go out and find distributors and, and, and suppliers to upload this to or from? It was a lot of trial and error. It was a lot of rejection and emailing people that didn't take a 20 year old entrepreneur seriously. But it, my whole pitch was there's very no, low, there's no risk to them, right? I mean, they let me, they give me access to their catalog. The manufacturer does. I list their products on Amazon. If it doesn't sell, it doesn't sell. It doesn't hurt them. It doesn't cost them money. I'm the one who's spending the time, the energy, hiring people eventually to do the listings. And if it does sell from their side, it's a brand new revenue stream for them that they can just sell additional products. So that's how I tried to portray, portray it as, as kind of a win-win for them, a win for me and something that, that was very low risk. So basically you went to them and were like, hey, listen, I want to sell your product on Amazon. May work, it may not. I think it will. Here's why. And what I need from you is, and you have like a little list of questions. Like I need permission and I need images and quantity and you know basic stuff like that. Yeah. And over time that process got better. So it was, Hey, I need you to send me an inventory update every week. And I would have a virtual assistant grab it and update the inventory on Amazon or every time they would get new products, which a lot of times new products are, are the best sellers. They would have to let us know about it. So over time you kind of make that system and process better and better. Got it. Okay. So what you start doing this, you find baby toys. Where'd you go to school? Quinnipiac. It's in Connecticut. Okay. In Connecticut. Are you from Connecticut? No, you're Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Oh, okay. But you live where now? 
Now I'm in Florida. Now you're in Florida. You, you're a smart man. You wised up and you got out of the cold. But exactly. I have to ask you, like, pause here for a second. Are you a sports fan? I am. And you're not going to like it. I'm at, so my family's actually from uh, New York. So I'm a big Yankees and Giant fan. Oh, man. The Giants, <laughs> the worst team in the NFL, bro. All right. Do you follow, you follow sports then a little bit? Definitely. Yeah. All right. I, I got to ask you then. Is my boy Brady going to leave? Dude, I think he's coming back. I'd be so surprised. Yeah, I feel like it's all BS. I feel like I'm, Belichick and Brady are going to meet and they're going to figure it out. Because like all the reports that I'm reading, dude, are like the call between Bill Belichick and Brady did not go well. Brady's preparing for a new team. Titans and the Raiders are front runners. Brady's going to be traded to the 49ers for Jimmy Garoppolo. Like just craziness. Uh, man, I would be so heartbroken if he leaves, man. That's that's all I say. I know. If I was a New England fan, it's almost like Mookie Betts. I don't know if you're a Red Sox fan, but I don't know. It's like if they traded Jeter when I was a kid. Like, right, I don't know how right. I would have gotten over that. You know? All right, right. So my heart is a little bit like, what, is it March 16th? I think it's March 16th he becomes a free agent officially. And I'm just like, <laughs> my heart. Um, all right, back to business, though. So you're 20 years old. You're going to college. Did you end up finishing college or no? I did. My parents were wow. teachers, so I, they, they made me. I have this degree right here that I've never used that's been hanging out. <laughs> okay. All right. Can we go down the rabbit hole just for like five or six minutes about, uh, of college? Yeah, absolutely. All right. I want to know your thoughts on it. Your, your, your family is a teacher uh, or our teachers, uh, your parents are. You went th- through school and you just said, hey, I've got this worthless degree. I am a very outspoken person. I don't really care if people disagree with me. I am going to, you know, state my opinion. And my opinion is, unless you're a doctor or a lawyer, it's a complete waste of time scam and you shouldn't do it. But on the flip side of that, I also try to see the other side and try to provide a new perspective. So I'm going to ask you the question. One, your honest opinion on outside of a absolute college degree necessary career, like a doctor or a lawyer, right? What do you think of college? Should they go or not? And then secondly, mm, what was the positive side of college? So go from there. Yeah. And I, I agree with you for the most part. I mean, if you look at it just from an ROI standpoint, for most people out there getting a a business degree or an economics degree or whatever it is, doesn't make a a whole lot of sense. Now, with that said, college was probably one of the four, I won't say best years of my life, but it's right up there. I had a great time. I met some awesome people that I'm lifelong friends with. I started a business in college. So it's tough for me to know if I would have even done that. If I would have even gotten into textbooks without college, would they go hand in hand? Maybe I would have taken a different direction to to get to where I am now. So I kind of do see that part of it. But I do agree. I mean, just the fact that it could cost you a hundred to $200,000 and you could be paying that back for the rest of your life and then go out and get a job that has nothing to do with the major that you just graduated in. uh, It doesn't, doesn't make a whole lot of sense from an ROI perspective. All right. I just want to make sure that we're on the same page there because like, so one of the things that I'm, I'm pretty passionate about doing with Think Different Theory is I, I want to bring in a new, like I want to connect the entrepreneur skill set with the average human, right? Like I, I really believe right. that entrepreneurship is the only way to create a sustainable change, right? Charities, we love you. You're great. But you also you depend on entrepreneurs or else you'd all fail. So right. that being said, let's, let's try to maybe not Like, I'm trying not to just be like, if you went to college, you're a dumb idiot, you should have seen it, right? Because that was kind of old Josh. And more so show this path of like, hey, listen, if you're not an entrepreneur and you're considering going to college and your goal is not to go and be a business owner, there is another path out there and you don't have to be a multi-million dollar business owner. You can have a side hustle or you can, you know, go and have success without that. So I'm just always curious about that. What would you say though about college? What was your favorite part of college? 
Oh man. Favorite to me, it was freedom and independence. I mean, my parents were always supportive and I got relative freedom, but in college, you kind of figure out who you are, what you like doing. Are you someone that likes to go to the gym every morning? Are you someone that likes to sleep in past class? Do you want to work on side projects? Do you want to be part of a community? Do you want to be a loner? Like how do you want to go about life? And you get to try a, a lot of different things and figure out who you are as a mature per- person, which is a lot different than who you are in high school or middle school. Yeah, for sure. What type of person were you? I honestly, I tried everything. There were plenty of times where I was listing products and, and just being by myself and trying to grow the business. There were times where I joined a fraternity and partied and had a great time and, and made friends. And there were parts of me that, that played sports and, and, and had the more active side of it. So for yeah. me, it was all about diversifying and, and trying everything to figure yeah. out what I liked and what I didn't like. Okay. I, I want to get back to business uh, here in a second, but I, I want to go down this rabbit hole for a second here. Um, are you a mindset guy at all? Like, do you like yeah, mindset? a little bit. I okay. meditate every day. So, okay, at some, so you're, some point. You're, you're, you're a meditation guy. Have you ever had like, um, like major, major mental blocks that you had to work through or not so much? Yeah. I mean, a, a lot of it, when you're an entrepreneur, you kind of have the, the big ups and the big downs, right? And I feel yeah. like at the beginning of being an entrepreneur, every time you're at an up, you think you're on top of the world and, and no one can touch you. And whenever you have a down, you're like, oh my God, my life is over. How am I going to ever recover? So yeah. I feel like a lot of it that first five years, like I had a point where I hired this one person, I trained him for six months and I had this one manufacturer who was crushing it for me. And I put all my eggs in one basket. I had one person running my business, one manufacturer I was focused on. I went on vacation and both of them dropped me on the same day, like on my first day of vacation. So I spent the rest of the vacation drinking and talking to my business partner and trying to get over yes. it. And the, the way I got over it was looking at it as a major learning lesson and how fortunate I was that I learned that in year one and two of business and not in year seven, eight, nine. So yeah. for me, it was kind of like become numb to the ups and downs and keep that level headedness across. And I like that a lot because like, so I'm, I'm huge on mindset. I, and it's one of those things where I'm like, I hate to generalize mindset because it's so different for each person, right? Like we each have our own stories. Like, yes, there's similarities. Don't get me wrong. Right. But like the similarities are like the core problem, but how they magnify themselves is radically different for each person. Right. And right. what I think is interesting is to me, you seem like the type of person and, and I hope you don't get offended by this. Like this is, I mean, this is a complete compliment, right? I'm not saying you did this, but I feel like you're the type of person because you've had some success, dude, $25 million in, uh, in sales. You just sold another company that was acquired. Like, and congratulations for that. But I feel Thank like you're you. the type of dude at 20 years old or 21 years old in college, you could be the dude that would just party so hard, wake up the next day, go make like a hundred grand and be like back to partying and like, where a lot of people couldn't do that. And obviously that's not a sustainable lifestyle. It's almost like you could separate the two, right? And you could be like, now I'm going to go do this. And like, yeah, while well, that's not gonna, that's going to bother me, I'm not going to let my partying or my, my hobbies or like things like that get in the way of me making money. Is that accurate or no? Definitely. It's funny. When I was growing up, my mom always told me work hard, play hard. And to me, that always meant like, hey, if I'm working on business or even a job at that point, I'm going to go all out and I'm going to crush it. And then if I'm going to go on vacation, like next week, I'm going to Colorado, I'm going to go snowboarding, I'm going to crush the mountain and have a great time. Nice. And in college, it was partying. And you kind of have that balance where whatever you're doing, you're committed to it, you're having fun, you're going at its max. And, and as long as you can kind of and, and I do agree with you, at some point, you slow down. I'm not yeah, yeah, but, out here like chugging beers at 8am anymore. <laughs> but but anymore. that mentality in life helps you. <laughs> okay, awesome. Awesome. All right. So and, and I do think it's important to separate that. That's one of the things that, you know, for the, the listeners that have followed me for a while, it's actually one of the things that I'm focused on now um, is like, 
having dedicated off time, having time to just not think about the business and be like, you know what? I've got my 500 bucks that I'm going to go blow on myself. I'm not going to, you know what I mean? Like this is just my time with this is what we're going to do. And I think that there is some health benefits to that to like keep sanity and, and keep things separate. So, okay. I want to go back to business. Um, so you get started on Amazon and you start selling these baby products. You start making millions of bucks or millions of dollars in sales, I should say, from your college dorm room, essentially. Like walk me through the process. How did you go from college dorm room, starting to sell baby products to 25 million bucks? Yeah, so we're listing products and we're selling. Amazon's growing at the same time. I'm, I'm making a good amount of money. My parents tell me I, I should probably start paying taxes, right? So I meet with an accountant and the first question he asked me is, when are you gonna hire your first person? And I kind of shrugged him off, like, why would I do that? That's money out of my pocket. They're gonna steal my ideas. They're gonna hurt my business. Pretty standard entrepreneurial excuses, right? Right. And, and he just laughed in my face and he said, you're gonna learn this lesson on your own. So sure enough, my first busy season comes around, fourth quarter, I'm doing every part of my business, answering every email, yeah. repricing everything, and I just get destroyed. I'm working 20 hours a day, my social life's gone, my grades plummet, and I just work my butt off to get to the other side and just keep this business alive because Amazon, they'll shut you down if you get bad feedback, if you cancel orders. So I kind of looked at it as my, my lifeline, and when I got to January, I was like, oh my God, he's right, I need to start hiring people right now. So I'm 20. I know nothing about hiring. Facebook is just becoming big back then. So I post on Facebook, hey, I'm looking to hire someone. And this guy in my business law class says, hey, I don't know what you need, what you do. I need a job. And I just hire him on the spot. Oh, no. Don't even interview him. Oh, no. <laughs> well, he ends up being an unbelievable hire. Oh, he's nice. Hard, he's right. hardworking. He's smart. He's actually my business partner. We've been business partners for 10 years. He was part of the, the buyout with FreeUp. He's part of my new venture outsource school. But there I am as this 20-year-old punk kid thinking, man, this hiring thing is easy. You post a right, job. Right, right. This is probably the worst thing up. that's ever happened to you. You got this false sense that hiring was easy. Oh, no. Exactly. And I just proceed to make bad hire after bad hire after bad hire. I mean, I'm, I'm hiring college kids. Their number one priority is not me. They're drinking. They're smoking weed on the job. They're making mistakes. They're messing everything up. And I turned to the real world, the 30-year-olds of the world that they didn't want to work for a 20-year-old entrepreneur, Amazon seller. No one knew what, what an Amazon seller was. So then I get into the remote hiring world, the Upworks, the Fivers, the hiring virtual assistants. And that's when the business really took off. I, mm. I set out to build a, a VA army and I did. I hired a team to run customer service, a team to list products for me and find profitable products, a team to update inventory and really get good at, at building processes. And Along that journey, I started to hate the Upworks, hate the Fivers, where you post a job, get 50 applicants, interview them one by one. And that sparked my idea for building my own marketplace, FreeUp, a, a platform that pre-vets VAs, freelancers, and holds them accountable. And, and on the back end, if you have issues, you, they cover you. If someone quits, they cover replacement costs. So Wait, where spent, is this? Yeah, FreeUp. Oh, okay, yeah, okay, this is your, okay, okay, got it, got it, got it. Yeah, yeah. So that was kind of the idea there. And what happened was FreeUp starts to grow. Amazon starts to get harder. The gurus, the courses all come out. Amazon starts cracking down. So all of a sudden FreeUp ends up surpassing our, our Amazon sales. And we decide to focus on that and growing our brand, which ended up being a, a good decision. When did FreeUp come into the play? What year was this? Uh, about four and a half years ago. Okay. So 2016-ish. So you were... 2008 is when you were in college, you said? Yeah, 2009 is about when I started selling. 2009. So if that was 2000, so there was like a six year ish, six, seven year period. Is that right? But by yep. the time, 
from the time you started college and selling textbooks to the time you start free up? Yeah, and we were selling between one and $6 million a year, depending on what year it was. Okay, and what's your profit margin on something like that? Dropshipping is around 20%. It could be a little higher, a little lower, but that's pretty much it. Ball, ballpark range, we're talking 20% yeah, yeah. here. Okay, so, and you did, before you stopped selling, do you still sell on Amazon or no? No, I, we gave that up when we did free up. We actually had a third business partner. We transferred that business to them and nice. we decided to focus on free up. And when you left, you had sold 25 million bucks, roughly? Yep. Okay, that's crazy, dude. What what would you say is the biggest misconception about selling? So let me give context around this. Dude, I, I've never sold a physical product in my life. I don't know what that's like at all. I think I've sold a couple of t-shirts before for Think Different Theory, but that's about it, right? Right. So my whole thing is I sell uh, you know, digital and consulting and you know, co courses and coaching and things like that. And we crush it, right? And I do a lot of done for you services for like high, high ticket stuff. But like I know the objections of my market. I'm like, man, like I can't get traffic or I can't grow without paying to play or Facebook reach. Blah, blah, blah. What would you say are some of like the biggest misconceptions about physical products selling like you were doing? Yeah, I mean, it's all systems, it's all processes, especially in the business that I was in. So there's so many fine details. You have to, you can't just take the manufacturer's word that they need to, that they're going to ship the product. You need to actually check and make sure they shipped it and try check the tracking number and make sure it's delivered or signed for if needed. And then you need to follow up the customer and make sure they got it and they're not, they'll just leave you a bad review. You need to make sure every single detail of the product that the manufacturer has matches exactly what's on Amazon. You have to brace yourself for returns and, and what's your return policy. If you ship something heavy and the person says, hey, it arrived broken or I don't like it, you need a plan. You need a system in place. So there's just a, a lot of fine details that go along with it that a lot of people jump and they're jump on. They're like, oh, I'm going to drop ship. I'm going to sell products. Customers going to get it. I'm going to make money. That's my business. And you have to be following every single step of the process and be on top of it. Okay. All right. That makes sense actually a lot. Um, do you deal deal with uh, digital products at all? Do you sell digital? Well, that's what Outsource School is now. We're launching our first course, Cracking the VA Code, and, and we want to build out a digital platform all about helping people outsource. Okay, so you you don't have a whole, t comparatively to your physical side of things, you you don't have a ton of experience with the digital the side of things, right? Correct. I mean, FreeUp offered VA and freelancers, but they were offering right. a service. We would take a percentage of all that. Well, because what's interesting, I feel like with digital products and, and coaching, especially coaching, consulting or coaching done for you type stuff is systems are, you know, fundamentally crucial, like you said, but there's another element of it, which I think selling digital products is harder than selling physical products. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, it's B2B instead of B2C for the most part, which is, yeah. I mean, B2C is an entirely different animal. Yeah. I think like, so one of the things I, I, I'm reading this traffic secrets book by Russell, right? Um, and you know, like understanding like how traffic works and like different things. And, and one of the things, do you know who Steve Larson is? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Steve's a good friend of mine. I was at his event and he was talking about how, um, like you don't actually create customers, especially when you're starting out like ClickFunnels may and Amazon and like people like that obviously are, but like, right. but like you are, you're not creating customers. You're just acquiring them. Right. So you're basically going like their customers are coming, they're buying already. You're just placing your product in front of them, right? And I think that the reason that so many people have such a hard time selling digital products is that they don't actually have a good product. And like, that's really this, the hardest thing for people to figure out is like what their product is going to be. And I feel like on the physical side of things, and you're more of the expert at this, it's not so much, I mean, you're not building the product, you're just making sure that you have a good one. And once you have a good one, it's, it's not so much that it's hard to sell, is that it's hard to scale the selling, right? 
Right. And, and I agree. I mean, I, from going from the Amazon space to, to building free up, it was a totally different animal with yeah. Amazon. They're kind of bringing the customers to you. You're right. just ship, shipping a product. It gets there. You check it off. Hey, you got it. You like it. Perfect. With free up. I mean, I had to learn marketing and branding and going on podcasts and getting content partners and growing backlinks and really figure out how to organically scale this thing. And like you said, you don't even know if your product's good. So instead of investing $100,000 in our software, because we end up being a software company and getting it out there, we made this crummy $5,000 software that the VAs and freelancers could log in, log out. Clients could see the VAs on their side and that was it. And we just took it to market and we listened to feedback. We found out what people like, what people didn't like. And then we invested in it and we made it better and better over time. And we tried to tweak our product to what the market actually wanted. Mm. I think that that's what more people need to do, but where people I feel like get caught up and I'm curious to know how you dealt with this. But once again, you strike me as someone that's like able to separate, which is super cool and remarkable. But like people get so butthurt when people don't like their product. How'd you, how do you deal with that? I, so rejection and failure happens to me all the time. I mean, I try to get on lots of different podcasts. I get rejected every single day. I've tried to form partnerships with people that have rejected me. And years later, we're friends and we're working together and we're making money together. So to me, that 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 rejection, I really try to look at as feedback. It's not really, Nate, you suck or your product sucks. It's, hey, what do you not like about it? What can I change? Mm. How can I improve it? And that doesn't mean you have to implement every little thing and some feedback is worth more than others. And sometimes you might know that you want to build something or you need something, but that's a two year project that you can't afford right now. So you kind of have to gather all that feedback, gather all that information and then prioritize what you can actually implement, what you can actually change and in what order you're going to do it. And hmm. if you take that approach to me, if you're not failing, if you're not getting out there, it means you're not really pushing the limit enough and you're just kind of playing it safe and you're doing probably what, everyone else is doing and trying to just blend in instead of actually trying to get out there and stand out. Interesting. Yeah. I like that a lot. People, I think, I think people need to understand that more. It's like people tend to take, and I know this was my problem for a long time. I'm so much better at it now, but like, it's not personal, right? Most like, number one, people don't even know you, but like right. a lot of times, like think, think about a product that you absolutely hated. Like that you usually you're like, this sucks, right? You probably dwelled on that for like, five minutes, right? If it was super bad, maybe an hour or a day, and then you like forgot about it and you moved on. I feel like that's what actually happens, but we, we act like somebody hates it and that they're, they're dwelling on it as much as we are. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I mean, if I told someone, Hey, listen, I, I don't like your product because of X, Y, Z. And a month later they came back to me and they said, Hey, we actually revamped it like this. Here's a free product tested out. I'd love your feedback. Like to me, I'm sold. That shows me that they actually care about what I want. They have probably gone in the direction I want, and I'm probably going to continue to work with that person. So yeah. people should have more of that mindset of trying to get that feedback. And a lot of times you don't even know what your market wants. You might think you know <laughs> what you want, but until you actually go out there and talk to them and ask them, I remember going to conferences and I would ask people how they like free up. And at first people like were thought it was awkward because I'd be in a group of people. And I'm like, Hey, what do you think of free up? And what if they say, Oh, I hate free up. I had a bad experience. Or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But to me, it's like, I want that feedback. Like whether you give it to me now or later, like tell me what it is so that I can try to make it better going forward. You know? Yeah. I like that. I like, and it was funny that you say like, you got to go and ask for feedback. Um, one, the first product that I ever created myself with an Instagram course, that's my background is you've grown and managed a bunch of Instagram followers. And uh, my business partner and I, like we had, I think at the time we had done this, we probably done just over a million followers, right? And we had made some money with it um, and uh, figured out how to monetize without actually selling a course. We did affiliate marketing, right? Sold right. these products. 
And so we put together this course. We were so proud of it, dude. I mean, like we were like, we worked so hard. It was actually a super awesome course. It really was. And we go and we're like, all right, we're going to teach people how to grow and monetize their following on Instagram. Now, as a 22 year old kid who just started coming into any form of digital money that wasn't directly tied to a boss, my thought process and my business partners at the time was people are obviously going to care more about making money on social media than they are about followers, right? right. Like their followers are worthless unless you're making money with it. At least that was our thought process. So we went out there, we put together this entire webinar, like went through, did all this hard work and everything. And it just bombed, dude. Like it just totally, I'm like, what the world? Nothing would sell, nothing would sell. And so then when we, we ran this poll, I don't even know why we ended up running it, but we had this like Facebook group, a couple thousand members in it. And we're like, hey, what, what's most valuable to learn to you? And one of the options was, I, there was a bunch of them, but like one of them was make money with followers and two of them is get followers. And it was like almost 70% of the audience said that the number one thing that they wanted to learn on, on Instagram was how to grow followers, not how to make money. And so we literally took the course and we added a couple more videos about how to grow followers because it was already pretty much complete. We changed the messaging of how we were selling it. And we're like, we're going to teach you how to grow followers. Boom, six-figure course like that. It was insane. And it's all because we asked, just like you said. Exactly. And, and so with, with Outsource School, we're launching this course and we have other ideas for courses, but we also want to launch software and we're building some software that goes with virtual assistants. And I have a meeting set up like every week for the next eight weeks with a different entrepreneur who volunteered that I know who's going to just w look at our software, listen to our software and tell us what they think if they would actually use it. Because just because I sold, scaled and sold free up doesn't mean every company I start going forward is going to be some success. I still need that feedback. I still need to adjust it and understand what people actually want. Yeah. And I think that's super important. And I like that a lot because like, I feel like some people that have some success and I know this was me a lot too. I was like, Oh man, we had success with Instagram. I'm going to go over here and I'm obviously going to crush it. And I didn't, um, because I didn't, <laughs> you know, go and actually do the work, but I, I want to kind of dive, dive down this path. Uh, you said it's outsource school, right? Is the name of the company now? Yep. Okay. So free up was what? FreeUp was a marketplace for pre-vetted VAs, freelancers, and agencies. So they would get about okay. 2,000 applicants a week. They would vet them, interview them, make sure they were good. The top 1% got on the platform. Clients could sign up, put in a request. If they needed a graphic designer, a customer service rep, a Facebook ad expert, put in a request. You get someone quickly within a business day, usually faster. Get started right away. If someone quits on you, they cover replacement costs. So 24-7 support. They're really there to make sure you get fast access to someone good. And when you say they, this was your company, right? Yeah. So I ran it for the past four years. The, the, one of our clients actually reached out towards the end of last year. It wasn't necessarily our plan to, to sell it, but they really loved FreeUp. They had been using it. They wanted to get in the space. They didn't want to start it from scratch. And they, they made us an offer that, that we thought was, was very aggressive. And we, we did a ton of due diligence on them. They, were off, they are awesome entrepreneurs. Mark Hargrove, David Martin, they've scaled other businesses. They treat nice. people really well, which is a big thing that we cared about. And for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, we wanted to make sure that it was a win-win for everyone. I mean, we took $500,000 from the sale, gave it to our internal team in the Philippines, made sure their jobs were secure, and then made sure that it was going to be a win for the clients and the partners and for, for Connor, my partner, and me. So it was kind of something that, that came together that it's tough to turn down what you feel like is a win-win-win. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Okay, so this was basically like a, a premium vetted high-quality fiver. Yeah, it's like Upwork on steroids, I always okay. used to say. Okay, Upwork on steroids. And I like that because a lot of the work you get on there is crap. So you you have this, you sell that, and now you're going to the outsource score. And I kind of want to use the rest of our time here to talk about outsourcing and building a team of VAs because this is something that, um, well, I think it's something that a lot of people struggle with. I also think it's a lot of uh, something that a lot of people don't know exists. And 
and, and they like, they know this concept of VA, but they have no idea really what that entails or what that means. And like my biggest fear, so I have, um, I've hired a couple of VAs before, but most of my employees have been US based. Um, right. it, it, that was started as more of a political move. I'm gonna, if I'm 100% honest, is like, I can't claim to love America if I'm hiring, not that I have any problem with you know, other people out there. But secondly, is it's like that, I wanted people that could speak English really well and like understand the product and like things like that. But then I started getting into it more and uh, I was talking to a buddy of mine, JR, um, who we've had him on the show. I'm not sure if you know him or not. Yeah, he's, like, he's like, dude, no, there's some like some really, really smart VAs out there. And I was like, really, right? And I don't know how long ago this was. I was like, huh. So like walk us through, like the, I guess educate, educate the audience on why VAs are so powerful and like break down some of the misconceptions that some people have about them. Yeah. So overall mentality, there's very few $1 million a year, $5 million a year solo entrepreneurs out there. It really just doesn't exist. At some point you have to hire if you want to scale, if you want to grow. And I like to break hiring down into three different levels. You got the followers, you got the doers, and you got the experts. So with the followers, for me, that's five to 10 bucks an hour, non-US. They might have years of experience, but they're there to follow your systems, your processes. The doers can be US or non-US. Those are graphic designers, video editors, writers. You're not teaching a graphic designer how to be a graphic designer, but they're not consulting with you either. They're there to do graphic design work 10 hours a day, and then you got the experts, the high level consultants, freelancers, yeah. agencies, they come with their own systems, their own processes and their own strategy. So for me, if I'm hiring US and I had a lot of people US for my Amazon business, I'm hiring the, the doers and the experts. And then for non-US, for tasks that I know how to do, I have a 90 day rule. I try not to do anything longer than 90 days without hmm. coming up with an SOP like for it and getting it off my plate. That first month, you're kind of throwing stuff against the wall, seeing what works. Second month, you have a pretty good idea of what doesn't work. You create an SOP for it, which we can talk about. And then maybe you hire someone by the end of the month. And then you spend that last 30 days getting it off your plate. Because a lot of entrepreneurs, we just keep adding and adding and adding and adding. And we forget to subtract stuff and take stuff off our plate. Yeah. I think that's super. Yeah. Hmm. I like that 90 day rule a lot. Cause like I hired my first employee two years ago, I think. I think it was two years ago is when I hired my first one. And dude, it was like seven months before I finally started letting go of stuff. And she, it was like, she was like pulling, let me do it. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm just, cause I'm afraid, you know, like afraid or whatever. So how do you go and ensure, let me ask you this. How do you decide what task you're going to hire a VA for? And how do you make sure that you find a good person for that task? Yeah. So what actually, I like hold to on, do actually, hold on, hold on. Sorry. Let, let me re-ask that question. There's a, one other step that I need to ask you before that. Number one, how do you decide what task you're going to hire a VA for? And then part two, how do you get that task ready for a VA? And then we'll go into how to hire them. Sure. So I like to create two lists and I create this list every quarter. I meet with my business partner. He's in Denver. I'm, I'm heading out there we're, and we're going to do this exact activity. So Amazing. first list is everything that you do on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month basis. You write it out. You put down, hey, I spent five hours a week on this, 10 hours a week on this. You can prioritize it from easiest to hardest, which I like to do. Although I know some clients that prioritize it by what they hate doing the most. So they'll put that at the top of their list. <laughs> and, and the second list, and this can be a little bit uncomfortable, comfortable, but we've kind of gotten used to it is we'll sit down and we'll just tell each other what we're bad at. Connor will say, Nate, you suck at this. And I'll say, Connor, you're bad at this. And we'll write it down. And 
at the end, we'll usually realize that we complement each other in some capacity. If you're a good business partner, you probably do. And we'll divide up and conquer. But then we always have all these things that we're like, wow, we are both bad at these things. We need to hire <laughs> the doers and the experts to just take those and run with it. So if we're just focusing on the first list, which is where the, the virtual assistants um, come into play, that's where the SOPs come in. And that's a, a standard operating procedure. And the way that I like to structure SOPs and what I recommend people do, and this is where a lot of people go wrong, people understand that you need steps, right? You need the A, B, C, you get it down. That, that's the middle of the SOP. And you can start off with a rough draft and make it better over time. You can even do what I do where I'll teach a VA to do something and then have them create the SOP and then I'll get it maybe the last 20%. But the place that everyone always messes up is the top and the bottom of the SOP. Mm, yeah. So the top is the why. Why did you create this business? Why does this, how does this task um, implement the business? Like, why are they actually doing it? How does it impact everything? And then I'll even include like past VAs I hired. So I hired Marius, who was my rockstar bookkeeper at FreeUp, and I had fired the two bookkeepers before him. So at the top, I said, why billing so important to the platform, what I want, what the goal, what the, the long-term vision of the business is. I said, hey, the last two people I hired, this is why they didn't work out. This is why it was bad. This is what expected of you. So before he even got to the steps, he had this big overall picture of what I wanted, what was good, what was bad, dive into the steps, he learns it. And then the bottom is that important reminders or do not do list. Hey, if my lawyer emails me, my accountant emails me, don't respond to that email. Make sure you leave that for me. Whatever is that important thing that they need to know. Hey, taxes are due April 15th. You have to have the books over to our accountant by March 15th. Because a lot of people, they'll take their important things and they'll be lodged in there in step five, part C, and the VA might understand it and know it, but at some point that they won't remember it, it'll get mixed up. And as an entrepreneur, especially if you're not used to hiring VAs, that's where you just can't let go because you're seeing these mistakes, you're seeing the important stuff that you take very seriously that the VA isn't because you didn't really set out, hey, these are the really important things. Do you think that people don't hire VAs or are not successful with hiring VAs because they are too afraid to look at the messiness of their business at the beginning? I think that's part of it. I, I think we all, all go through it. I think we always think that someone's going to steal our baby or hurt our baby or, or, or won't be as good as, uh, at that task as we are. And, uh, Alex Sharpen, who I'm sure, you know, I, oh, I always yeah. love one of his quotes where he says, Hey, if you think you're the only person that can do what you do in your business, I have news for you. You're, you're not that special. And it, it's so true that there's mm -hmm. so many people out there that can do everything that you do way better. And if you're not focusing on the high level stuff, the, the sales, the expansion, the marketing, your, your business is only going to go so far. Yeah. I like that. But do you think that, um, like, I feel like a lot of people, uh, let me ask you this, typically speaking with this outsource school that you're creating, and I should say outsource school plus whoever you typically work with, who is that ideal customer or that you're trying to help? Is this a more beginner entrepreneur or more intermediate entrepreneur? Like what level of, of their business are we talking about here? Yeah, I would probably say, I know it's a big range, maybe zero to a few million dollars in sales, maybe not zero, but some kind of revenue stream people are getting started. Um, I mean, our goal is if you've never hired a VA before, we're going to teach you exactly how to do it, how we built up a 30 person team. If you've had 
if you've hired BBAs, VAs and you've had bad experiences, we're going to teach you how to avoid those mistakes and how to do it properly. And there are clients I know from FreeUp that hired a lot of VAs and they're still going to use Outsource School to just get that last fine tuning. Okay, I have 15 yeah. VAs. They're all doing what they're supposed to, but I don't want 15 people to report to me. I need to build team leaders and assistant team leaders. So there, there's a certain element of it depending on where you are in your business. Yeah, for sure. Uh, how much of, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the things that my, Excuse me. Um, one of the things that uh, I was always told was your first hire should be a cash flow producing hire. Now, my first hire was not, but I believe that your second hire should be. I think your first hire needs to just be to allow you to free up your time so that you can focus on cash flow producing activities, like an assistant or you know something like that. How much training, or I guess I don't really know what I'm asking here, but like how how much training, or how much time do you focus on training VAs to understand cash flow producing activities or how I guess here's the question how many cash flow producing activities do you think a VA like someone that you would train can actually do yeah I, I wouldn't say that the VAs are majority cash flowing I guess depending on how you define that I mean my first hire tends to be a bookkeeper just because if mm. you're like me I I'm not good at bookkeeping most entrepreneurs are not and the last thing I want to do is have my books fall behind and not get monthly reports that make sense and have a big mess. So to me, that's the lowest hanging fruit. Let's just get that off my plate, get it done correctly right from the beginning. And then from there, in some order, I'm going with a customer service rep or executive assistant to get me out of my inbox. I, I hired a VA for free up one of my first hires to work from 5am to 7am just clearing my inbox. So when I woke up at seven, they would say, Hey, I left these two emails for you and I would get a head start for every day hiring a VA for social media, uh, making sure that the posting is consistent and the scheduling is there. And then lead generation is, I probably yeah. fall into that cash flowing. Yeah. For me, I love using VAs for getting on more podcasts, for getting speaking opportunities, virtual summits to research influencers. And that one is a little harder. It takes a little bit of tweaking. I, I mentioned before that you have to be okay with failure and okay with split testing your pitches and, and figuring out exactly what's working and what's not. It's not, you don't just hire a VA and say, hey, go find me leads and not give them any instructions and, and hope <laughs> it works out. But, but that can be the most fun and that can be the most rewarding over time. Yeah, uh, man, that's, that's actually really good. Um, when it comes to hiring VAs, are most of these part-time or the full-time right away? Because I noticed that you said like, I hired someone to literally come in for two hours a morning, right? Or I hired a bookkeeper. Well, that's not a full-time job right at the beginning, is it? Uh, with free up, it was because it was more oh, than right, bookkeeping, but, billings and stuff. But I agree with outsource school, bookkeeping is not full time. It's a few right. hours a month. And you can hire people full time, part time. You can hire them project based. Here's the key. You have to set the expectation with them up front and make sure that they are OK with that situation. So with this bookkeeper I hired with outsource school, I said, hey, I'm going to book you five hours a month. I'm going to pay you five hours a month, even if I only give you three hours of work. If you need more than five hours, let me know. I'll approve those hours but I don't want to come to you in four months when we picked up and we need five hours of work and you say, Hey, sorry, I can't, I've taken another client because I'm booking those five hours. And if you're not okay with that relationship, that's fine. Just tell me now and I'll find someone else that's good with that arrangement. And she was good with it and it's working so far. So there, there are people out there that are looking for only full-time. There are people out there that might have a full-time client and they're just looking for a few extra hours to help with the bills. So you have to find a match for your situation that you're looking at. And the last thing I'll add there is on-call and instant does not exist. If you're an entrepreneur out there that wants a VA that'll just sit by their desk and wait for you to give them work and get the work done right away, 
that you might get a VA that's new that you might trick into doing that, but that is not going to last. And that, that's really no way to run a business. Okay. All right. And that's really good information and advice, I think. But if you hire them full time, then they would be, but not as on a part-time basis is what you're saying. And you can hire them on call. To me, on call is, and I have a video editor that's on call. I'll reach out to them. I'll say, hey, are you available? He says, yes. I say, hey, this is what I need. He says, hey, I'll have it done by next Tuesday. That works for me. You're good to go. If it doesn't work, I'll go find someone else. So that's yeah, yeah. what on call is. Okay. Yeah. And, and not someone that's like, on call 24 seven does like just can do everything at the drop of a hat, have some right. planning, have some scheduling. Yeah. What would you say are some legitimate fears and concerns that somebody could have when hiring a VA that, um, and how are you handling those or dealing with them so they don't happen? Yeah. So I, I think the, one of the biggest thing is the, the security thing, right? Everyone yeah. thinks that, that the VA is going to steal their idea, their credit card and stuff like that. And, and I've seen clients who make their VAs like sign an NDA, like you're really going to chase someone across the Philippines over a piece of paper. <laughs> like that's not going to work. And you can use LastPass and you can be smart about it and give them like more and more access over time or, or whatever it is. But the real way to protect your business is to build relationships with the people that you're working with. There's no substitute for that. I've had people that I fired. I've had people who have quit on me and they didn't want to hurt me. I didn't want to hurt them because we had built the relationship. And no matter what you do in terms of NDAs and LastPass and limited access, nothing is going to beat actually getting to know the people that you're working with, showing interest in them, their family, showing appreciation, treating them well. And that's going to protect your business so much more. And the average VA out there cares so much more about providing for their family and keeping a job and having some kind of stable income going forward than they do about stealing or jeopardizing your business. Yeah, and I think that that's important for people to remember. One of the things that was really eye-opening for me, um, at the end of last year, I went and traveled for a bit around the world. And the Philippines was actually one a con country that we spent a lot of time in. We went to like 10 different islands there. Um, and that's one of the things I noticed is that, I mean... I'm not a fan of the, the Philippines as far as like, you know, how messy it is and, you know, smells and like kind of things like that. But the people overall, uh, the average person that we ran into, they really did care about just doing a good job. Like most of the people over there, whether it was working at McDonald's or working at a, you know, uh, a, a repair shop or like something like that, anybody that we ran into, they did actually really want to do a good job. And it's, it's much different than it in America. Like in America, like you go on social media, you go to the average kid, the average person out of college or whatever. And it's like, how much money can I make for the least amount of work? I want to be my own this or, you know, oh, I'm not being paid enough. It's grime. It's complaint. It's a very, very different environment in, in the third world countries. And I think that that's a really important thing to remember. Yeah. I mean, one of the, my, my, the pro things that I'm most proud of is the millions and millions of dollars we paid out to VAs in the Philippines to help them. People were showing me their cars, their houses, how they were That's able awesome. to provide for their family. And with Outsource School, we're actually partnering mm. with Teach for the Philippines, which oh, nice. helps Filipino children get access to better education to become VAs or whatever they want. And a percentage of every sale is going to go towards them. So That's I'm a so big cool. fan of the Filipino community and I didn't want to just cut them off when I sold free up. I mean, we want to yeah. continue to, to engage and help them. That's super cool. What is the, what's the average cost of, if I'm getting a, a good time, you know, like a, a good quality VA um, and I'm going to hire them for, you know, 20 hours a week, say, uh, not full time, but committed for sure. Like what, what per hour am I paying them usually? Yeah, five to ten dollar an hour range. If it's more low level work, uh, emails, data entry, lead generation, stuff like that, you're probably more in that five to eight dollar an hour range. Five to eight dollar an hour range. Um, what 
So is that like through a platform or direct or like, cause you'll hear these people that are like, yeah, you can hire a VA for two bucks an hour or three bucks an hour. And I'm like, I mean, I'm sure you can, but like, right. What should people be cautious of at that level? Yeah. And, and those are just ballpark. You might find, I've had VAs that I paid 20 bucks an hour and, and yeah, you can get VAs for, for two in certain places. For me, I'm a big proponent of valuing my time and lowering turnover. Turnover kills mm. small businesses. It sets you back. And if you hire someone at two bucks an hour, you better make sure that they love working at two bucks an hour. And that's what they feel they're worth because it's not going to be that hard if they gain some skills or, or, or learn how to be, maybe you hired a new VA who's just getting into it for them to get a higher paying job than that. Yeah. So you're always going to be thinking in your back of your mind. Now, with that said, I, I keep mentioning lead generation. I have a really good lead generation system. And if anyone wants it, they can reach out to me, happy to share. But it is easy. It's super easy. I give the VA a flexible schedule. They can do it whenever they want. It's not full time. They can have other clients. I'm not going to add work. It's, it's pretty low stress. So for that, I'm not going to overpay. I'm going to go on a lower level rate for mm. customer service, which is a 50 page SOP we had for free up that we're investing a Dang. ton of time. And it's really like months before they really master it. I'm not going to lowball someone by that extra dollar. Like, how yeah. is that worth it if they quit on me in, in six yeah. months, you know? Yeah. And I mean, we're talking even if it's 10 bucks an hour, like to find a, a person. I, I mean, I think of someone that does like a customer support thing or an executive assistant that you have. I think of the people that I've hired to do the executive assistant work. Or I think of someone that I'm sure that does like a you schedule or a Russell Brunson schedule or something like that. Like pay them. And if you pay them, that's you taking care of them. They're going to take care of you. And that's one of the key things that I'm hearing from you over and over and over again is like, if you build a relationship with someone, I mean, think of someone that you have a really good relationship with, you're not going to want to screw them over. And if it's vice versa, like they're not going to want to screw you over and they're going to be, you know, emotionally invested in it. My uh, executive assistant now, her name is Anne. She is amazing, right? And, you know, I always tell her, <laughs> I have this open thing with her. I'm like, Anne, if I ever don't pay you enough money, come and tell me. She's like, right. oh, oh, oh. I'm like, no, you need to understand. She's like, I'm not really confrontational. I'm like, I don't know what you're dealing with. It's not like, I know what I tell you to do and I know it gets done. I have no idea what she does, you know, half the day. But I'm like, if I'm ever not paying you. And when you have that relationship, it sounds like it's the same thing with these VAs. I feel like it goes a really long way. Yeah, you got to ask them. You got to make sure they're okay with the rate. I mean, for, for our first course at Outro School, we're actually going to interview VAs and then onboard VAs, screen share so you can watch us do it. And we talk about price. Hey, this job is five bucks an hour. Are you happy with it? And some of them are like, yes, I love it. Other of them are like, oh, my normal rate is eight. Well, that's a big red flag for me. I should probably make the decision whether I pay them out eight or I should probably not hire them unless I'm okay with the risk that they might quit and take another job elsewhere. And yeah, you can get creative with it. With, with my bookkeeper, the billing guy at FreeUp, he ended up being a team leader. But I said, you know what? I'm going to start you off at three, but your pay is going to go up every time we get to the next milestone of 500 billed hours in a week. So nice. he, he took that risk and he was okay with it. And by the end, he was making 20 bucks an hour plus. So he was crushing and it worked out for him. For me, he was an all-star. I was fine paying him 20 and that could have easily backfired. He could have gotten another job at five bucks an hour. Um, but you have to be, you just have to know what the risks are. Yeah. So you can make the decisions up front and not just be shocked down the line when someone puts in their two week notice. Yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. Okay. Um, we're wrapping up on time here. I want to give you a chance to talk about this um, outsource school, right? Pitch us here, right? Like what's, uh, what's outsource school all about? Where can people find out more about it? Um, like, what are they going to get from there? Like, I, I want to give you a chance here for a couple of minutes just to kind of share with you what, us what you're building and how people can have a part of it. Cause it sounds awesome. 
Thank you. And for the last four years, people have been asking me, hey, you need to come out with a course. You need to come out with a course on, on how to scale using VAs. And we didn't really have time. And now that we sold free up, we're putting all our effort into this first course from Outsource School. It's called Cracking the VA Code or IOTA Method. IOTM is I-O-T-M, stands for Interviewing, Onboarding, Training, and Managing. But we're going to hmm. teach you the exact processes that we use to interview, onboard, and train virtual assistants. And from there, we have so many more ideas, how to use a VA to get on podcasts, how to use a VA for social media. We have software developers working on different VA software that's going to complement it. So we have big ideas for this platform, and it all starts with our first course, Cracking the VA Code, and I hope you'll check it out. Also, if you go to OutsourceSchool.com slash VA Calculator, we have this great calculator. You can put in information in your business, and it'll tell you how many VAs you can actually afford right now, depending nice. on how aggressive you want to be. So that's a cool tool, cool, to, yeah, cool tool to check out. Awesome. Awesome. So outsourceschool.com slash VA calculator. That's it. All right, guys, we're going to link that down below. If you're listening on audio or if you're watching on the replay of Facebook or YouTube, um, we'll link that down below both outsourceschool.com and then outsourceschool.com slash VA calculator. Um, so be uh, sure to go check that out. And um, man, this was, dude, this was really, really good information. I really appreciate you taking the time to kind of come on here and explain all this. And um, I have a feeling we might be doing this again. Sounds great. And anyone listening, I'm probably one of the easiest people to contact online. So find me, Nathan Hirsch, on LinkedIn, on Facebook, The Real Nate Hirsch, Instagram, Twitter. Feel free to reach out to me. I love connecting with other entrepreneurs and hopefully I can find some way to help you. Well, I mean, it sounds like you just don't do anything all day. You just, you know, hand it off to VAs and you just sit back and, you know, message people. And just meditate and come back on podcast. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, dude, um, uh, we'll have to talk. I mean, I think that there could even be, you know, cool collaboration here potentially um, with with this. Um, and I'll have some more questions for you. But I really, really do appreciate your time. We're gonna drop your handles down below. A um, couple rapid fire questions here for you, if you don't mind. For, first time it. on the podcast, I kind of like to add some people get to know you a little bit better. Um, all right. So rapid fire, favorite airline to fly? Southwest. Southwest. They don't have a first class though, bro. I know, but you can change it. I'm always, I always end up changing and altering my flights and they just make it so easy to do it. They don't charge me fees. I don't know. I, I, no, I feel that. I feel that. <laughs> all right. Uh, are you a car person at all? I, yeah. I'm not really. I'm very frugal when it comes to cars. I always think they're like a bad investment. So I mean, they're a terrible <laughs> investment. They're just like a, a money drain on anything. Um, right. Okay. So if you were to go drop like, I don't know, like a quarter million bucks on something, whether it's a car or a, I don't know, watch or like some, something, some physical item um, or a house, maybe it's a million dollars. Like where would you go and splurge on yourself? To me, it's all about travel. I'm a big travel guy. I mean, I yeah. want to take another trip through Asia. I've gone on Euro trips. I want to check out Italy. I'm half Italian. So, I mean, my I, I'm frugal when it comes to cars and stuff that I don't see as a high value. But for me, like travel and food is something I'll, I'll pay money for all day. I love it. I love it. What's a bucket list item that you haven't done yet? Bucket list item I haven't done yet. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. Oh, man. Um, I, so I have a lot of family. I kind of just said this in, in Italy because I'm from Italy and, and I feel like every one of my family's got an opportunity to meet them at some point and I just keep missing out just because of scheduling conflicts. So that's my goal is to go and meet that family and, and same mm. thing in Germany and, and just kind of connect with my ancestors, so to speak. It's interesting that you say that you have some German in you as well. Yeah. It's funny you say that, dude, I'm 50% Italian and I have German in me as well. My mom's from the German side. My dad's Italian. So I feel you right there. Okay. Two more questions for you. If you ever had yeah. the chance to go to outer space, would you do it? Not unless they made the, the trip a lot shorter. I don't know if I could just spend a year traveling to, to Mars or the moon. No, or no. I mean like, I don't know. Let's say it's like a week. 
Like go oh, up yeah, and back down. Yeah, yeah, you okay. All right. So if you had it, as long as it wasn't like a year long thing, I mean, I don't know, dude, I feel like you could just like be sitting on your phone up there, just doing some, uh, your, you got your virtual assistants down here. <laughs> All right, man. Last question for you. We ask everybody that comes on the podcast for the first time, this question, I want you to fast forward to the end of your life on your deathbed, all your money, accomplishments, success, everything is gone. Um, but every single person that you have touched and affected either directly or indirectly in your life, you get to leave them with one final word of wisdom or advice. What is that message? Treat people well. That's just my overall mentality. I mean, business is hard. You're running a startup. You're going to make mistakes. Stuff happens, whether it's your fault, your team's fault, something out of the blue. Own up to it. Make it right. Treat people well. Don't let anyone just leave a conversation or, or leave a, a, a purchase from you feeling like they were screwed over or that yeah. you didn't have their back in any way. And that's kind of my overall life and business mentality. I love it. I love it. Nathan, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much for your time. Guys, as always, hustle, hustle. God bless. Do not be afraid to think different because those of us that think different are going to be the ones that change the world. Check the description for all the links and access to everything. And I will see you guys on the next episode. Take it easy, fam. Peace. Yo, what's up, guys? You've been listening to the Think Different Theory with myself, Josh Forty, which I like to call a new paradigm of thinking. And real quick, I got a question for you. Did you like this episode? If you did, I want to ask a huge favor. See, the biggest thing that helps this podcast grow and that will spread this message of positivity and making the world a better place is if you leave a review, a rating, and subscribe to the podcast. What that does is it basically tells the platforms that this is out on, that you like my stuff, and that I'm doing something right. So if you could take like three seconds out of your day and subscribe, leave a rating and a review, I would be forever grateful for you. Also, I want to hear from you. I want to know your feedback, your ideas and your questions for future episodes. So be sure to hit me up on Instagram in the DM at Josh 40 or via email contact at thinkdifferenttheory.com.